Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is Series 7, where I am talking to some of my favorite athletes. They are part of Team Canada, and they are Paralympians. So let me get to this guest that we will be dropping in with. This is Episode 68, and dropping in today, our guest today, he started competitive wheelchair basketball in 1996. And then in 1997 and 2001, he won the Junior World Championships. He's been competing internationally for Team Canada since 2007, and he's still going. He is now the team captain on Team Canada's men's wheelchair basketball team. He's a seven-time national champion, a four-time para-pan American Games competitor, and that adds a three silver medals to that. Placing second at the Lima para-pan American Games, this qualified him and his team to his fourth Paralympics with Team Canada at the 2021 Tokyo Paralympics. He's a four-time Paralympian, if you didn't get that. Bringing home silver at the 2008 Games and gold at the 2012 London Games. And he's also an active volunteer and coach. This son, friend, junior world champion, seven-time national champion, Parapan American Games medalist, Paralympic champion, gives back to sport in the best ways. Let me introduce... Bo Hedges. Hello. How are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm good. It's like a mouthful of all your accolades that you just <laughs> heard. Yeah. You uh you you got the full list there for sure. So and like you, you have know, award you. you have you have so many other awards that I didn't even touch on. You're an amazing human. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, when you're in the sport a long time and uh, get a few games, you start to accumulate some accreditations there seriously so. Bo, are you ready to drop into our rapid fire questions that are never rapid sounds great let's do it okay number one do you have a lucky charm uh lucky charm eh uh not necessarily uh, i've done different things over the past i have sometimes like special socks that i'll wear for like games but it's not continuous so but like too. i'll be I'll, yeah, I'll find some of like, oh, those are the ones I'm going to wear for like a real big game. Yeah. Uh, I used to always like carry a quarter in my backpack just in case, you know, when you used to have pay phones, that was more relevant. And then, <laughs> and then, really dating ourselves now. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, so little things like that. I guess I always have a, a lanyard on my uh, backpack to distinguish it from the other guys, but it always has a compass on it too, just in case you get lost. Smart. Very yeah. smart. So little trinkets here and there. I love it. I also yeah. had socks. Like, I think it was before 2010. I was like, these socks, they're really just working for me. Yeah. I don't know. Superstitious kind of things. Yeah, little things. All right. Number two. What's It's a two-part question. The favorite place that you've traveled for basketball, wheelchair basketball, and then also for pleasure? Um, I think... Well, wheelchair basketball, it kind of like it ties into like the gold medal and winning in London and, and London and England, how they embraced us. And so that was yes. pretty special and it's really unique in that sense and how they embraced the Paralympics uh, within that games. And then people just, 
uh, recognizing you and celebrating you and that sort of thing. It really made that city and uh, in that country special to me in that sense. Um, and then personally traveling, um, I've always, uh, always enjoyed uh, Germany, I guess. It's a, it's a great okay. country, good food, good beer, uh, <laughs> usually real green. So uh, those are kind of that European sense for sure. I like that. Do you go to London often now? I have not been there since the games. No so, way. Yeah. Oh, wow. I like that it has a little special place in your heart. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, number three, where in the world are you today? Uh, I live in Toronto three quarters of the time. The rest of the time I'm uh, at my parents' cattle ranch in northern BC, so still somewhat a western boy. Yeah. But yeah, most of the time and right now I'm in Toronto in my apartment down in the downtown core. Okay, so are you a big city or small town kind of guy? Uh, I can manage the big city, but I like the small town better. Okay, cool. Um, when you're in the gym, work, this is number four. When you're in the gym working out, would you rather have headphones on with like loud music or just hear yourself like working out? Generally, I just hear myself working out. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm getting prepped for like a game, uh, and doing like shooting and stuff like that in my pregame, I'll generally have music on. But if I'm just there getting my work in, uh, okay. no headphones. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and number five, do you have a favorite game ever? Favorite game, like game that I played? Yeah, that you played in. Yeah. Okay. Um, I asked Mary. I asked um, Marie Philippe Poulin that question, and she's like, "Monopoly." <laughs> God, my mind started to go to that. I know. Like, oh. Sorry, I need to be more specific. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. um, favorite game I played in would be um, the probably the bronze medal game, or not the bronze medal semifinal game at Parapens in Toronto, twenty fifteen. Uh, by winning that, that got us to the Rio Games, and we okay. had had a little bit of a tough spell before that, and we did it in Toronto, beat Brazil. Uh, by 15 or 20 and so that was a pretty special game to do in front of friends and family in in our home country i heard nothing but good about uh, nothing but good things about those games yeah they did an amazing job uh in terms of just the logistics and made it definitely feel almost on um, that olympic paralympic scale uh yeah. with how they hosted and organized um and so yeah it, it was a great opportunity to play in canada and hopefully Maybe one day I'll get to play in Canada again in front of the friends and family and all the fans. Are you going to go till 2030? Uh, that might be a little <laughs> long away. <laughs> but, that's, like, uh, that's the worst question an, I, an athlete can give another athlete. I'm sorry. We uh, there is a world championship in Ottawa uh, okay. that we're hosting in oh, 2026. Sick. So, uh, yeah, that might be more doable than okay. anything in 2030 realm. Who knows? You never know. Uh, <laughs> okay, so number six, you talked about being on the ranch. What time of the year are you usually, usually at the ranch? Uh, usually I am there through October, September in that period, and yeah. then a little bit in, uh, in the winter as well, uh, obviously for the holidays usually, and then sometime in the getting ready and helping them with the calving. And then again in the spring, so kind of like those three little segments. So, so, so you're fully like farming when you're up there too. Uh, yes, I'm helping uh, on the quad, chasing cows in the tractor, going in circles, 
uh, doing all that sort of stuff, picking some rocks here and there if need be. Oh, awesome. It's like your, your other training. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a little, uh, bit, so a little bit more full body for different things. Just yeah. Core and core engaged. So. Wow. Um, number seven, what would be the top place in Canada to train? Top place to train, uh, like my favorite place to train or yeah. like the best quality training? Your favorite. Uh, I like to shoot baskets at my parents' ranch. There's a cement pad there. And so I can shoot and do stuff there. That's, that's pretty awesome up there nice. to be able to keep doing some stuff. Um, other than that, I would probably have to say the oval in Richmond for, uh, yeah, just shooting baskets and you can get your lifts in there and look at the mountains and Vancouver is a beautiful place as well. It is. I've, I have tried, um, wheelchair basketball there Yeah. and kudos, my friend, it's very difficult. <laughs> Definitely a, a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. Uh, number eight, if you're not training, what can you be found doing? I can usually be found, uh, I guess most of my time when I'm not training is volunteering somewhere mm -hmm. if I'm not on the ranch. So writing emails for, I'm on the board of directors for BC Wheelchair Basketball. I share that board and then I'm on the Athletes Can board. And then I am the athlete rep or one of the athlete reps for Wheelchair Basketball and team can or captain there. So all You're that busy. stuff keeps me busy. Uh, That's no a matter lot. where I am, yeah, it adds up, as you know. Yeah, you for sure. Things, I, I'm only on two things now, and <laughs> it still yeah. seems like a lot. <laughs> Thank you for giving back to all the athletes. Um, number nine. Obviously, we had the pandemic. Uh, did your training change at all during that time? Um. I mean, we had to make some adaptions. There was obviously we started doing the training in the, the apartments and adding to your own home gym and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did some of that. Um, we were fortunate though because we were preparing for the the Tokyo Games that they were able to get us back into the gym okay. fairly soon. But it still was a few months uh, out of the gym. And then when we had to go back, we were like one person on a hoop with one basketball, wipe everything down, wear a mask. Yeah. So that was all, all a bit odd. So um, so a lot more individual focus for a period of time there versus interacting with your teammates, which is a huge part of wheelchair basketball. Right. Wow. The whole team aspect. So, um, yeah, so I was able to focus on some things I need to do as a, myself and, and yeah. do that. But, uh, yeah, so that would be the big change overall. Okay. Um, number 10, this is not a poke at you because – I was called a veteran at, I think, 18 years old. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how long have you been the, called the veteran on the team? <laughs> I have been called a veteran for quite some time. Some even call me uncle. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not uh, even just... on my team. Some, oh, way. My some of the oh, wheelchair gosh. rugby guys call me Uncle Bo. Uh, <laughs> So I can have Trevor on. I can have Trevor Hirschfield on. He can ask him about Uncle Bo. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I didn't, I never liked it. I'm like, I'm 18 years old. Like, you can't call yeah. me a veteran just because I've been doing this for like years now. <laughs> yeah, that's a little young to be called a veteran. So, um, 
Yeah, but definitely by my early 30s, I was a veteran. So that's going on 10 years now. Amazing. Amazing. And so when, okay, so that's, we did it. The rapid fire, never rapid. I feel like we crushed it. Yeah, I felt <laughs> good about that. I want to get into the Paralympics. Your first ones were in 2008. When you went into those, was there like an expectation that you were like, this is going to be awesome? Or were, like I went to my first ones and I was super naive. I didn't really know what the Olympics were. So what, were, what uh, was going on in your head? I was naive in the sense of what the games were, for sure. Mm -hmm. Our team had a, had a ton of pressure on us. We were going in as winning the last two Paralympic gold medals. Mm -hmm. and trying for the third and so there was a lot of internal pressure uh, from each of us as athletes but also wow. as, as a team to like try and win again which had never been done before um so in that sense there i felt that but like what the games would be and like uh the people and the olympic areas uh and all of that i had no idea and uh, it's amazing when you're finished the games you don't realize the pressure that you were like Kind of putting on yourself and like the day after the gold medal game i was just like this huge weight was off my shoulders and i was just like oh oh wow <laughs> there's a lot going on that i had no idea that was going on right yeah so, yeah uh so there was all that internal pressure but in terms of yeah it's just such an amazing experience my first games and china did a, a great job of hosting and creating this environment to uh really um embrace my friends and my friends and family that came uh, as well as the athletes and and, uh, and support us while we were there so silver in 2008 push on another four years a lot happens in that four years like what what were you going through in that four years were you like i'm going again or just next next game next game like where where was your head at um well yeah as you say a lot does happen in four years and so i was there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to compete in another game. So I was going to train okay. the whole quad. Uh, but our team had a bunch of ups and downs. We went to the world championship in 2010 and ended up in seventh uh, okay. after winning. And seventh earned our zone, the third spot to qualify. And then in uh, Guadalajara at the Pan Am Games, we lost a semifinal that we'd never lost to Colombia. And then we had to pay a bronze medal game and won that against Mexico to earn the third spot. So uh, there was all these little things that kind of happened. And then uh, we were all, all yeah. Because qualifying, like how do you yeah. qualify? It's all these games throughout. Or is yeah, it just right. the year before? So it's the year before. You got to work your way in and make sure you get to the qualifying tournament. Uh, yeah. For the Olympics, it's a pair of Pan American Games. Uh, okay. And then depending on how your zone has done at the last Olympics or world championship that determines how many spots uh, and teams can then qualify from your zone. So okay. by getting seventh at the world in 2010, help. it did. Cause if we had a lost that game, there would have been only two spots. Okay. Oh gosh. Yeah. So we earned that one spot and then it turns out we really needed that one spot because we lost another game that we, probably shouldn't have lost but a team played well and we played poorly and any given day the world of wheelchair basketball has gotten so much closer and that much more competitive that the the disparity between the top two is quite real but okay. three through ten is very close and so those teams uh, on a really good day can beat those other teams and so um fortunately we uh we qualified in Guadalajara yeah <coughs> excuse me 
and then uh, and then in London, um, we had this uh, real motivation and uh, and a lot of team chemistry. I guess okay. would be the big piece, and we just kind of put a lot of things that we had together, and a lot of us that have been playing together for years and years. Um, yeah, and- I'm curious about that. Does the team change like like in a quad, or do you keep it the same, or does it change every year? It changes slightly every year. So maybe okay. one guy, like the 12th guy, we have a team of 12. And so yeah. that 12th, 13th guy switches in and out. And okay. so over a quad, so from London to, or from, sorry, from, from Beijing, Beijing to London, London. we yeah. probably had two or three guys change out. Okay. Um, but the base of the the London team was a lot of the guys that were on the 1997 Junior Worlds team. We had four, if not five guys from that junior team that had been playing together for the last 15 years off and on, on that wow. squad that won in London. Uh, and similarly in uh, in Beijing, there was a big group of it there as well. And so it just, uh, it was kind of a culmination and some of the guys retired after the London games and stuff like that. So um, it was- um, <laughs> Like, cool, them out. Game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we won again, let's get out of here. Um, in hindsight, they might have known what they're up to, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, it was just, uh, an amazing thing to accomplish again with that core group. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of the guys from British Columbia that I'd played with for years were still on the team. And yeah. so, uh, to win as a group and a program to win three gold medals and one silver in basically like a 12 year span was a pretty amazing feat for the for program. Sure. Seriously. Um, And then, um, did the, did, so obviously after London, the the team dynamic probably changed a lot. Um, and then qualifying for Rio, was that just as wild? Yeah, it was, uh, it definitely had its ups and downs. We didn't qualify for the world championship in 2014 with the new group. We, uh, about half the team kind of started to move on. Uh, from London. And so we got a a lot of young guys, a lot of good players, uh, just injuries and the dynamics and and circumstance kept us from qualifying. And then, so that was what made uh, the Parapan games in Toronto. Um, So important for a program, as you know, on the podium rewards performance. And if you're not a Paralympic sport or or not going to the Paralympics and haven't gone to a world championship, suddenly the program begins to suffer a ton. And so there is a a bunch of external pressure uh, that I felt for sure, because I realized mm-hmm. the gravity of what if we didn't do it again and yeah. what it could mean, not just for us as athletes, but also the program and people's jobs, yeah. Yeah, all of that stuff. So uh, in that sense, there was a, a massive amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, but we were able to qualify. And then that led into the uh, us going to Rio, which we didn't have a great performance there, but it was a young group and the guys got a lot of experience out of that. And, and it was a different. Did, of- did you share any of like your wisdom about going to a games yeah. with them? Uh, yeah, you tried to, um, it was, it was just a different situation overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we actually, our coach, um, from London and then, leading into pair pants he had to pull out because he had cancer and so another coach took over and so there was just all of these different factors that affected us as a group and so many hurdles 
Yeah. And then we got to the the Paralympics in Rio and it was definitely a different type of experience. So it was challenging, it, wasn't it? It was hot there, wasn't it? It was hot. Uh, the facilities were great. The fans yeah. that came out were amazing. Yeah. Uh, but there was challenges in the village, some of the transportation issues, uh, oh, a lot yeah. of those things uh, were a little bit, a little bit tougher. Um, especially with the games just being in Rio and the, their financial situation as a country, it, uh, it was, became tougher and tougher as the tournament went on. And oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so it just, but uh, in did the end, you did you do you, does your team um i, I had uh, tyler mcgregor on sledge hockey and mm -hmm. he uh was saying that the sledge hockey team decides they they usually go to the opening ceremonies but for the next one they decided they're not going to so do you guys decide as a team whether you're going to do that or not because you play throughout the whole games right yeah we start usually the day after and go through till the day before closing so um yes dependingly if we have a morning game after the uh, opening ceremonies that decision yeah. is made for us that we don't go right like, uh if it's a night game like in london we were able to go because it was you could walk there and then you could leave and walk home and so that yeah. made a huge difference awesome. uh in rio we went some of us went some of us stayed tokyo obviously it was a different uh, atmosphere and none of us went we yeah. think they only had like five people in the Paralympic opening ceremonies for Canada. Exactly. So it, it was a real small contingent there. Um, and then closing, but I would always recommend if you have the opportunity to go to an opening ceremonies, especially yeah. if it's your first games, it's such an amazing experience. The fans, yeah. everybody cheering when you come in. Uh, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I still know. remember. I felt, I felt bad for everyone in yeah. Tokyo. Yeah, with that and then yeah, even a closing ceremonies, uh it's still a pretty cool experience to to go yeah. and, and just do that thing and uh and see the crowd and see the show and so I went to the Tokyo closing. There wasn't very many of us that went from the team. I think only two or three of the guys went and maybe four or five of the women's team went. So Yeah. I um my first games, I was like so naive that I didn't know the host country walked in last. Okay. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, I think I did know that beforehand. <laughs> Just like, oh wait, what? And then and then um, for 2010, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going for Canada. <laughs> so yeah, wild. that would be one you don't want to miss for sure. No, because I almost switched countries actually to the UK. Right. There was. I think you've told me a little bit about that. Yeah. Not all not all politics in sport. Though. Well, we know all about it. Yes. Yes. There's lots challenging um okay so rio and then move on what happened to the team like in 2020 we just touched on it in the rapid fire but like you're not all in toronto are you no we uh we were all over kind of canada and a few in the states so yeah. um none of our guys were playing in europe so there is some professional leagues in Spain and uh, Germany and Italy okay. that yeah, some yeah. guys play in and, uh, and that sort of thing. So basically, as every other sport, the world shut down for like six months, yeah. uh, seven months. But then uh, the winter of 2020, 2021, the European League started up again. And some of the college teams in the U.S. Uh, that have wheelchair basketball programs started. And so uh, there were people playing 
basketball competitively around the world, uh, okay. just not most of us in Canada. So we were training kind of individually and then started being able to train again as a team around Christmas. And, uh, and so that kind of, uh, I don't want, yeah, it was just a bigger challenge for us than some countries that were playing. And then, as you know, Europe is so small uh, that uh, national teams can get together quite easily and play friendlies in the Eurozone and not have to cross, cross really borders or deal with any immigration or COVID tests or requirements. So they were able to get some friendlies in and do some of that stuff. Uh, so uh, there was some very big hurdles in our preparation for, for the games. So uh, we didn't get any friendlies in leading into Tokyo, which normally oh we'd probably gosh. get 20 to 30 in uh, in a year. So. <laughs> yeah so it was pretty tough but uh we did uh, the best we could as a group and a team and a program to prepare ourselves and uh we yeah. came out and got our butts kicked by spain but uh bounced back the next day and lost in overtime to turkey who ended up fifth and lost to japan by a few points and they got silver and then won our couple games to get us into the to the quarterfinals and and lost a tight one to the the reigning world champions in the quarters so uh obviously would want to do a little better and maybe win that quarterfinal match but we played competitive games and give our channels a chance to play for for a medal and and play a competitive quarterfinal so as a group i'm very proud of how we came together and through that and and were able to uh play competitively and and play well for our country for sure man i mean <laughs> hurdle hurdle and hurdle and her, everything was kind of thrown at you guys it's it's, it's wild it's so wild mm -hmm. when uh when you're at the um the tokyo games obviously you're getting covid tested and i saw yeah. some photos of of like eating in the um where all the athletes eat yeah. uh was there any like awesome food uh, the food was pretty good in Japan for sure. They had some nice dumplings and some sushi and uh, and that sort of thing. So some good uh, local cuisine that helped out. Um, yeah. There was nice coffee. I enjoy my coffee. So um, <laughs> I'm uh, just thinking about you refueling because for me, my I have like three days of practice. It used to have five, and yeah. then. I, my sport is 30 seconds, so I'm like done. And you're yeah. just going the whole time when you're at the games. I mean, refueling yeah. is really important while you're there and resting. Yeah, it's uh, especially as you get older. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we have a shoot around practice every morning and then a game in the afternoon. Or if you have a game in the morning, then you'd have a shoot around practice at night. So uh, you're going in, yeah, you are getting those shots and you're getting treatment, you're getting rest. I have a, a pretty extensive pregame routine with the nap and then get some, have a ball in my bedroom that I take downstairs into the basements or the bowels of the buildings and like shoot off the wall and practice. Get, start getting my touches in, start playing with the- Wait, what like does the touch music. mean? Touches on the basketball. Oh. <laughs> so I just have a basketball with me and yeah. I'll shoot, shoot against the wall uh, just to start feeling that and start doing visual, visualization and do some passes against the wall. So I'll do that like for 15, 20 minutes in the basement of, of the residence, uh, you know, a couple hours out of the game, uh, somewhere in that range, two and a half hours out of the game, just to start like getting my body ready uh, and then get some food again, like you said, run by the cafeteria, sneak in there and probably not eating the dumplings then, maybe have a salad and some, yeah. some 
good carbs and uh and then jump on the bus with the, the guys and and get to the gym and have team meeting and then get on the practice court and start practicing and uh i guess the secret to my uh a lot of mud that i do is you know mio the the water supplement yeah yeah in the states you can buy mio with caffeine in it uh. and uh, so i just spike all my drinks with that <laughs> Top secret, guys. Top secret. Yeah, top secret. <laughs> Instant awesome. caffeine. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do that, and then uh, yeah, then you get your game, and then get get some treatment, get some ice, take some Advil, and then get back to the dorms and jump in the ice bath and uh, cool the body down and get ready for the next day. I like that. Like the whole world is now doing like cool polar dips as well so now they know what it's like to be an athlete because i did my first one in 2010 and i can tell you i did not like it (laughs) yeah no it was not fun yeah we started doing them a little bit in preparation for the 2012 games yeah first time that we started using those and then it's been sporadic some countries do it uh, very uh religiously and they bring their own along with them um uh to everything so but yeah so that's it I do do the cold showers right after a game to start cooling the body down. So, and then I'm hooked on them. I just have cold showers all the time. That sounds awful to me. <laughs> I like to stay warm, even though I'm a winter sport girl. <laughs> yeah. Too funny. Anything else like from the games that you want to share? Tidbits, secrets that happen when Team Canada? <laughs> uh, you know. I think it's just uh it's one of those things where it's it's finding ways to like kind of kill time but also do things that are fun with your teammates right and so uh whether it's in london it was kind of drinking coffee and going and and just wandering around the village and and finding the different food things because the food was amazing at the london games to uh uh Brazil was the uh, the open the open space like the Olympic green area. The people there were amazing. Just the regular Brazilian folks in there and just signing autographs and them coming up and just being oh, so stoked awesome. to see you. Uh, and then in in Tokyo with everything being a little bit different, obviously, but uh, brought the frisbee along and just playing frisbee with the boys out front and and finding ways just to like hang out and and build that team chemistry and yeah. uh, and get while keeping your prepared. sanity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because there's long days at the village sometimes, especially totally when you were there four or five days ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You do all these things you have to do. And so it can yeah. get a little old by the end. So, yeah. So, so we, yeah, no, totally. So we talked about uh, London. Would you say that that would be your favorite games if you had to choose? If I had to choose, yes. London was yeah. my favorite games. Okay. Uh, obviously, it's got the... Uh, the token or the uh the asterisk of gold. gold medal yeah that always <laughs> helps uh but they're all very unique and special uh yeah. to me so uh yeah london was the gold medal and and you know my parents being there and the, and the family and just being there to experience right that. no that one was, in tokyo no one was there in tokyo so that was a little different for sure is that uh, weird for basketball because you're used to like hearing a crowd did they like put a fake crowd noises in or anything uh, there might have been some noise. I don't really notice the noise once the game gets started. But okay. at the end of the game, when you're looking around and you see the family there, or when you're warming up and you kind of look around, you see your your parents there. That always makes that. a little bit of difference for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the best things about the Rio games is we were done early. And so I had a ton of family there, like 20 or so. 
And so I got oh to spend gosh. like three or four days in Rio just doing stuff with them, which <laughs> never happens if you're playing for a medal. So uh, I don't want to necessarily experience right. that. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying there. <laughs> it was awesome to spend time with my family, but it would have been cooler to make it to the finals. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then China was always great because it was the first one, right? And, yeah, uh, totally. And then Tokyo is just unique and never, hopefully, never there will be another games like it with the COVID and everything. Everybody had to go through to be there. So Seriously. So did your family go to all of the games other than Tokyo? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I had to tell my parents not to come to Sochi. Right. Yeah. I was like, mm, there sounds like there's bombs happening. Let's like, let's, let's I don't want to worry about you. <laughs> yeah. That's a distraction I don't need. During yeah. The totally. Where are my parents? Yeah. <laughs> what, what Olympics? Yeah. Anyways. Um, Bo, thank you so much for dropping in. Where can people find you online if they want to see what you're up to? Uh, you can find me on Facebook is an easy one, Bo Hedges. And then I am on Instagram somewhat. Uh, let me just find my, well, if you search Bo Hedges, it'll be there. But my handle is, here tells you how much I'm on there. It, <laughs> how do I even find that? Are oh, you like? Hedges Canada underscore six. So my, uh, is your number six? I am number six. Number six. Well, number six, Bo Hedges, thank you so much for dropping it. Today. Thank you for having me. So much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks, DJ Kenosis, for the music and my mom for the intro voice. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.